0: Turn and tell someone near you Happy New Year before you settle in on this first Sunday of 2024. Man, I'm so glad that uh, all of you are here. If you happen to have a Bible today or if you have a smartphone that has a Bible app to it, um, you can go ahead and turn to the book of Acts if you have your Bible. Um, And you might want to crease it really, really good if you have one of those strings and you've always wondered, what are those for? They're bookmarks. Um, If you want to put it in the book of Acts, for the next two years, our church will journey through the book of Acts uh, verse by verse to learn about the movement of the early church so that we can learn about the movement of the current church. That will be the goal. We'll break in the fall and take about six weeks to teach the book of Ruth. We'll break in December and we'll head back to the manger in Advent season, but then in 2025, we'll wrap right back around to the book of Acts. Two years in this book. Let me introduce it to you a little bit today if you have your notes or even not if you're just kind of reading along on the screen. Let me give you a brief overview of this book that's called The Acts of the Apostles. It was written by a man named Luke, who also wrote one of the gospel narratives of the life of Jesus called the Gospels, and it was written as the follow-up to the book of Luke. So it was, it was the second half of one story about Jesus and his movement. It was written to give some historical background to the explosion of the Jesus movement across the world. It doesn't tell us every detail and every person that was involved in the first 30 years of the church, but it tells us all the key people, all the key places, all the key events, that happened in the first 30 years of Christianity to take it from a group of 11 people to this global movement that it was. uh, Luke writing to a friend in Rome, wondering how in the world did the message of Jesus get here? That is what the book is about. It gives the context and background to every New Testament epistle in the book of Revelation. Without the book of Acts, we wouldn't understand Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians and Galatians. We wouldn't even understand the book of Revelation. We read that Jesus comes down and gives uh, letters to churches in kind of southwestern Asia. We know about all of those places and all of those people because of the book of Acts. And maybe more than anything, it introduces us to the promised Holy Spirit. It uses this word Holy Spirit more than 50 times. Um, It introduces us to the promised Holy Spirit that the people of God had been waiting on to power the kingdom of God for more than 600 years. The book of Acts. Turn to someone and say, Acts. Acts. Okay, that was maybe 20% of you. Now everyone, turn to someone and say Acts. So here's what you need to know. The official title of the book is not Acts. Uh, So many times if we memorize books of the Bible, it's like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. The title of the book is not Acts. When we think about Acts in the English language, we think about somebody chopping down wood or a middle school boy spraying himself down before a dance, right? Like, (laughs) Like that's Acts in our vernacular. This book's official title is The Acts of the Apostles. A better title would be The Actions of Christians. That's what this book is. This is a book about how the actions of the Holy Spirit through followers of Jesus change the world. That's the book. Which leads me to ask you this question. If your Christian story was written through the lens of your spiritual actions last year, how many verses you got? How many chapters you got? Do you have an entire book? Like if your spiritual story last year is the actions of 2023 that showed the world that I'm a follower of Jesus' work, could you list one? Could you list three? Could you list 10? My prayer is that our church one day is, is not known for our services. Not known for our programs, not known for our Sundays, not known for our buildings, certainly not known for the preacher or the staff. My hope is that one day when people who don't go to our church think about journey, they think about the actions of journey for Jesus in our community, amen? That is, that is like how the church is known by the actions of the people who follow Jesus in 2024. What will be the actions of your life that show people they are a follower of Jesus? We've got these 1% resource tables in the atrium. Almost all of our 1% initiatives are actions you can take to help you follow Jesus well. And over the next two years, we'll study this book and we'll learn how to do that together. Listen to how the actions of the Holy Spirit through Christians in the first century is introduced to us in the book of Acts. It says in Acts 1.1, in the first book, Luke is the author. So what was the first book he's referring to? Luke. Okay, so for the rest of you who just like tuned in, we're glad you're here. I'm Christian. You're at a church called Journey. We're teaching the Bible. Luke wrote two books. One was Luke, one was Acts. He said the first book was called, all right, now it's not a happy new year, but we'll get there eventually. In the first book, O Theophilus, this is his friend he's writing to. In the first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given his commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he chose. chosen. He presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. You should put a double period there. He just summarized the entire book of Luke in three verses. Now he's moving on. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. For John, he's talking about John the Baptist, baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they come together, they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. These things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight, and while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you, in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. As we begin this two-year journey in the book of Acts, three things that are really foundational to the mission of Jesus for his people that I just want to point out to you in Acts chapter 1. We're going to start, number one, with what I would call the heart of the mission, a whole book that we're gonna study for two years about the mission of Jesus, but we're gonna see the heart of the mission. What is the foundation of the mission of Jesus? Because Acts chapter one, verses four through eight appears to what I call declassify a private conversation that we didn't get access to in Luke 24. So remember, Luke and Acts is technically one book, not two, just two parts of one story So if you were reading Acts chapter one, Theophilus would literally have turned from Luke 24 to Acts chapter one. And as he reads Acts chapter one, he's invited into a deeper level of conversation that started in Luke 24, but that we get a a little more insight to that reveals to us the heart of the kingdom of Jesus and the heart of the mission of Jesus. Say, what happened in Luke 24? I won't ask you to go read the whole thing. Here's what happens. At the end of Luke 23, Jesus is dead. At the beginning of Luke 24, he comes back to life. Um, his followers all think he's dead. We see a group of them walking from Jerusalem to a village uh, called Emmaus. Uh, it's about seven miles from Jerusalem, right kind of in between Jerusalem and current day, modern day Ben-Gurion airport. Um, and as they're walking, they're depressed and they're downcast because they put all their hope in Jesus and he was dead. And Jesus shows up and starts walking with them. He's like, what are y'all talking about? They're like, are you the only one in the world not aware of what happened in Jerusalem? He's like, what happened in Jerusalem? This guy, Jesus, all of us put our hope in him. They killed him. He's dead. Guess it's all over now. Jesus is like, I don't, I don't think you understand how all this God stuff works. So he begins to teach them the Bible, teaching them from the Old Testament how God's savior would have to suffer, die, be buried, but then he would raise again and like it would change the entire world. He, he goes to eat dinner with them. When he breaks bread, it appears potentially that when he raised his hands up to break bread, they see the scars and they're like, their eyes were open, they are like, it's him. They race back seven miles back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples who were in a locked room because they're scared to death, we saw Jesus, he's alive. They're like, no way. And he's like, Yahweh. Um, somebody sent me that meme the other day. It's like, you're, you're welcome. Thanks, Kurt, for sending me the meme. If uh, you have anybody, they're like, no way. He's like, yeah, yeah, he is. Um, he really is alive. And then Jesus is right there. And they all think that they, they see a ghost. They're freaked out. She's like, don't be worried. You can touch me. I'm good. You have anything to eat? They give him a fish sandwich. So he eats his filet of fish. And then he's like, let's sit down and talk. Like, what's happened? In Luke chapter 24, he, he teaches them the same thing. He brings them into this conversation that Acts chapter one has to be right in the middle of. Here's what he says. Luke 24, 44. He says to them, These are the words that I spoke to you. They're like, what's happening? These are the words I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. By the way, that's how rabbis 2,000 years ago summarized the Old Testament. The law, the prophets and Psalms. That means all 39 books of the Hebrew Bible, the law, the prophets and the Psalms. So he's like, the Old Testament said all this would happen and it says in verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. If you wanna underline that, people say, Christian, what do you wanna do when you get to heaven? I hope one of the things we get to do is sit in this Bible study with Jesus. I hope I get to pull my Bible out with Jesus and say, okay, do the Emmaus thing. Genesis 1 1 to the end of Malachi, show me every place it mentions you, because I think I missed most of them. So he opens up the scriptures and he begins to teach them all the stuff that the Bible says. And he said to them, Thus it's written that the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, would have to suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. He said, here's what that means. That now the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Here's why you have to do that because you're witnesses of it. You saw it, you're gonna have to tell the world. And here, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. So stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high, that'll help you carry out the mission. And he led him up as far as Bethany, that's where Lazarus lived, Lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and he was carried up into heaven. Now, Acts chapter one, verses four through eight fits somewhere in this story, fits somewhere in this conversation. It's like Luke declassifies a little more information that helps us decode what is happening. It takes this story to understand what was being said in Acts chapter one because the disciples made some assumptions based on this conversation that Jesus clarified for them in Acts chapter one. What were those assumptions? They are assumptions you and I make too. Assumption number one was this, that the promise of the father was the restored kingdom of Israel. Remember Jesus said the promise of the father's coming in Acts chapter one, they're like, is that, is that the restored kingdom of Israel? does that mean like the whole world is gonna be conquered by Israel and the Messiah is gonna rule and reign? And like, does that, does that mean, is, is, the, is the promise of the father the restored kingdom of Israel? They ask that question in Acts 1-4. And Jesus is like, no. Their second assumption is that the power from on high that Jesus await in Jerusalem, it'll come, is it will be to overthrow all the earthly kingdoms and usher in the eternal kingdom of God. So they hear this conversation and they're thinking, finally, Finally, Israel is going to rule and reign because God is going to send this power to conquer the world, and we are like going to run the whole place. It's amazing. And in Acts chapter one, Jesus is like, It's almost time. And they're like, Yeah, like, time, time for us to conquer and rule the world, right? And Jesus is like, No. And he clarifies their assumptions. In Acts chapter one, he says, The promise of the Father is the arrival of the Holy Spirit, not the arrival of some earthly kingdom, but the arrival of a spiritual kingdom that will live in you. For far before it lives around you. And clarification number two is that the power from on high is to help is one day established. They're like, God, are we, gonna, are we gonna kill everyone, take names and like set up our kingdom and rule and reign forever right now? And he's like, no, no, that's not, that's not gonna happen. He's like, the power is gonna descend on you, but he said it's gonna descend on you and it's gonna do a work in you before it ever kind of takes over around you. Now here's the problem lots of followers of Jesus in 2024 still have. We are still far more focused on God changing the kingdom around us than the kingdom in us. We are far more discontent with how things are going on in the world and far too complacent about how things are going on in our heart. And we still, like the disciples, are saying, are you going to change them? Are you going to change that? Are you, going to, are you going to take over this? Are you going to redo this? And the whole time Jesus is like, when you're concerned about what's going on around you and so complacent about what's going on in you that the kingdom of God isn't what it should be on earth because it isn't what it should be in you. I feel like saying it this way, maybe too many Christians have an until it is spiritual mindset rather than an as it is spiritual mindset. Say, what do you mean by that? We are waiting to give our entire life to Jesus until everything else is fixed. We are waiting to surrender our purpose in life to Jesus until everything else is fixed. We, We are waiting to be Jesus in a relationship until they are like Jesus in a relationship. There are far too many Christians that are like, until Jesus fixes everything around me, what's in me will not be right. But Jesus did not tell us to pray until it is prayers. Jesus said to pray that the kingdom of God would come on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus says, if you wait until the kingdom of God comes, you may never have the kingdom of God in you or around you. But if you just start living right now as if, It's already real. As if it's already in you, it may begin to exist a little bit around you. Start being more concerned with the kingdom in you than the kingdom around you. Some of you, if you were to be really, really honest, all your social media, all your news intake, all your conversations, all your text messages are about trying to figure out how in 2024 things around you will get better. And there's been very little spiritual conversation about how things in you need to change and deepen and transform to be more like Jesus. The heart of the mission is that the heart of people would change. And Jesus says, if you're waiting on everything else to change until you do, that won't happen. But if you act as if you've already changed, then maybe things around you will begin to change as well. The kingdom of God does exist in us And it can exist around us if we show it to others. But did you hear how Luke opened his book of Acts? He says, in my first book, Luke, I begin to tell you everything Jesus began to do and to teach. Do you see the order of credibility there? I begin to tell you everything Jesus began to do and to teach. Do you know the church has a credibility gap in our world? Because we teach what we don't do. Do you know you may have a credibility gap in your faith walk because you talk about Jesus in ways that you are not like Jesus? The heart of the mission is that the heart of people become more like Jesus, amen? It's a big challenge, but it's one worth taking. You say, how's it happen? Number two, we see the power of the mission. So the heart of the mission is that hearts change. You say, how's that happen? Not by ourselves, verse eight. Says you will receive power. Somebody say power. power. All right, you're awake. Welcome to the last half of the message. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is a fun word in the Greek language, it's the word dunamis. We get the word dynamite from it. It's a word that literally means in Greek literature an explosive and effective energy that accomplishes a task at hand. Something needs to be moved, dynamite will move it. Somebody needs to hear something, dynamite will make that happen. Dynamite is an effective strategy for accomplishing the task at hand. Jesus said, I will give you the power to do what you need to do. Here's why. Because you cannot do it on your own. It's funny, Acts says that Luke is the story of all that Jesus began to do and teach. It does not say that Acts is the story of all that Christians did and taught. Luke is the story of all that Jesus did and taught. Acts is the story of what the Holy Spirit did through followers of Jesus. But followers of Jesus didn't do it, the Holy Spirit was the power that fueled what God was doing in the world. Because really there was no other option Um, Jesus in Luke chapter 24 walked into a pretty pathetic looking group of people that he was going to entrust his mission with. Um, They were hiding behind locked doors. It reminded me of the first team I ever coached and the first game I ever coached, which I lost. After playing sports a long time, my son was finally old enough to play sports, so I thought I'll coach. The first team that I ever coached was a t-ball game, and the first game that we ever played, they didn't keep score of, but I kept score of, because why would you play a game if you didn't keep score and We were winning, going into the bottom of the game, and then their team got up to bat, and we did not record an out until they had more runs than we did, and the game was over, and I was crushed. I was crushed. I remember taking the team out in the outfield and, you know, trying in my head as we're shaking hands, you know, how am I gonna encourage a team and tell them how bad they did, but how we can do better. So I get these kids kind of in a little semicircle out behind third base and I'm like, well, guys, we lost um, and that was bad. Like, this, the, like we just lost focus, we couldn't catch, we couldn't throw. It was awful and I look at the kids and two of them are wrestling and one is waving to his mom and one of them's playing with the grass and one of them's picking his nose and I remember thinking, they don't care at all. They don't don't care at all. I was so discouraged on the way home. I wasn't talking to Danielle, I was like, what's the deal? And I told her about our little post-game deal. And I was like, I don't think they care at all. And Danielle said, they're four. (laughs) They're four, like, of course they don't care. I think Jesus walked into that room in Jerusalem. Peter's poking someone, flipping someone in the ear. And John and his brother, Andrew, or you know, probably James and John are wrestling each other and someone's probably sleeping. And I, I, th- I bet Jesus walked into this room getting ready to give this pep talk and thought, um, if this is the kingdom of God, we're screwed. Like, that's what I like. I don't know if Jesus said that word, but I bet he had that thought. I don't know what it is in the Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek, but I think he thought, we're screwed. Like, this probably is not gonna come together um, well. So he said, guys, I'm gonna give you something. I'm gonna give you Dunamis you cannot do it on your own you are weak you are frail you're uncommitted you're unfaithful but if you can receive and hang on to the holy spirit the acts of the holy spirit through followers of jesus will change the world that is the story of acts that is the continued story of christianity in acts chapter, or in ephesians chapter 5 the apostle paul said here's uh, the bad news about the holy spirit he leaks um, in Ephesians 5, 18, he said to the church in Ephesus, don't get drunk with wine for that's debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. The words drunk and fill are the same word in the Greek language that literally means to have so much of that you're controlled by. But when you read the original text of the Bible, you always look at verb tense and this verb, be filled, is in the present imperative, uh, which means it's like something that's always supposed to happen. Literally, Paul would have wrote this word, uh, be being filled. Be being, like, Don't let anything else control your life, but be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It means it's something you always have to do. You can't just be filled. You have to be being filled. Say, so what are you gonna do tomorrow? I'm gonna have to be being filled. And what about the day after that? Well, you're gonna have to be being filled. Like all day, every day, you're gonna have to be being filled or you're going to be empty. You have no spiritual power in yourself, only what the Holy Spirit gives you, but he leaks. So you're gonna have to be being filled. You're gonna have to stay full. You say, well, how do I... How do I fill up? How do I refill? How do I stay filled? Let me give you you five ways. These aren't the only five. These are the simplest five. How do I stay filled? How do I refill with the Holy Spirit? Good question. Letter A is time in scripture. We read that scripture is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It brings Jesus to life and who you are. Jesus was the word who became flesh, it's why we ask people to read the Bible in a year, not so you can read the Bible, but so that you can stay filled, so that you can refill. Anytime you sit down with a chapter of scripture, a verse of scripture in a devotional, a New Testament Bible reading plan, an Old Testament Bible reading plan, all our resources are pointing you to spend time with God in scripture so that you can refill spiritually when you leave. Letter be time in prayer. We start off almost every year at Journey, the last seven years with, a, with kind of a, a, a focused prayer movement that this year we're calling 21 Days of Prayer. It's been a week of prayer the last few years. It's gonna be a little different, kind of a hybrid this year that will end, 21 Days of Prayer that ends with days 18, 19, and 20, big revival services with two of our favorite guest speakers, Clayton King and Vance Pittman coming in on Wednesday and Friday, I'll preach between them on Thursday. It's gonna be like three nights of youth camp for adults. Um, it's gonna be great. In the early service, I said it was gonna be unbelievable. Someone texted me and said, well, will there be anything believable that happens in those services? So I thought, okay, I won't say that word again. Thanks for the dad joke. Um, Next Sunday, we'll hand out all of our prayer guides, which will lead you through our week of prayer, uh, Monday through Friday, the 15th through whatever that Friday is, 20th or 21st, 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. in person and online. Um, The last 14 days of prayer all consist of a devotional that's been written by one of our ministry team members and just some prompted prayer you can do on your own from anywhere. We're gonna ask everyone in our church to journey with us in 21 days of prayer as we start this year of consecration. We're gonna ask as many people in our church as can to make these revival nights Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and to start this year by just saying, Jesus, here's my heart, if you would, fill it. Jesus, here's my heart, if you would, fill it. That's our goal to help you stay full, to refill. Letter C, time and spiritual community helps with that. You heard Pastor Ryan mention that in his moment earlier. When you spend time with other Christians, it can refill you. Uh, letter D, time and corporate worship. We're launching a campaign this month called 36 and 24. We're asking every family, very specifically with young children, children under the age of sixth grade, to commit to come in person to church 36 times in 2024. Because there is not an online product for your kids that matches what you get when you miss church and you stream it from wherever you are someplace. Kids need to be in church to really get to know who Jesus is, so we'll be launching that initiative because we believe it fills people. And then time serving God and others. You say, how can serving other people fill me up rather than drain me? I don't know, honestly. I just know if you've ever been on a mission trip, it's the most physically draining and spiritually filling thing you'll ever do. Go spend somewhere serving God and people. It'll absolutely wear you out and fill you up at the exact same time. You have to be being filled. Why? That's how we accomplish the mission. Look at verse eight again. But you will receive power, effective energy to accomplish your task when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This verse, by the way, is the outline of the entire book. You say, what is this book? It's the story of how the church became witnesses in Jerusalem and then in Judea and then in Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8 is the outline of the book. It's the story of Jesus' mission from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to by the time we get done to the end of the earth. That is the outline of the book, but it's also the order of the mission. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean, it tells us how to accomplish the mission. If I have a favorite line in this sermon, It's the one they're getting ready to throw up on the screen. And here it is. We won't ever have the power to reach the world until we have the discipline discipline to refuel ourselves. The order of the mission is that if you will have the discipline to stay full, you will have the power to accomplish the mission. The reason the church, in so many places, the reason the church, through so many people, has no power to reach the world and accomplish the mission of Jesus is because they simply are not full. I'm not sure who's running our pro presenter. Could you go back to those five things that we do to refill one more time? If you could throw those on the screen if you're listening to me back there. You give me somebody who's not doing A, B, C, D, and E, and I'll give you the word for them. They're empty spiritually. If your 2023 was without A, B, C, D, and E, I promise you, you were empty spiritually. Doesn't mean you're bad spiritually. Doesn't mean you're useless spiritually. It means you're empty spiritually. And some of you walked into this room today because in 2024, you, you don't want to be, you have to be. You have to be stronger than you were in 2023 because 2023 was a year of emptiness. I'm telling you, we're giving you the tools we're giving you the tools, just go get a drink. Stay full, refill. Nobody knows where I am now because I just messed up pro and me and everything else, but we'll try to get there if we can. Number three, I think. We see the heart of the mission. We see the power of the mission. Number three, I think we see the motivation of the mission. In Acts 1, nine through 11, why would anyone give their whole life to serve Jesus? Look at verses nine through 11. When Jesus has said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? If you have a pen, you might underline the words looking into. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This word looking into is a phrase that indicates nearly a fixed gaze and if you read this correctly in the language, it almost looks like the angels were chastising the disciples. The title of our Bible study today is like, don't just stand there because that's what the angel said to them. Here's the picture. Jesus says, I'm going up. You're going out. Ready, break? And like, that's the play. Jesus goes up and they're like, Man, I don't wonder when he's gonna come back. And they stood there looking so long for Jesus and their connection with Jesus that an angel finally had to come bump him in the side and say, hey, get going. He told you he was going up. You go out. Go do it. Don't just stand there. Go. I think sometimes following Jesus is presented to us as fixing our eyes on Jesus to the exclusion of everyone else. And our whole spiritual life is spent either looking at how Jesus has fixed our past or how Jesus is going to bless our future. But we don't ever like in the here and now present day serve Jesus. And here's what I know. That is not Holy Spirit filled living. Because what this Bible proves to us is that if you spend your whole life gazing into the scriptures for Jesus and never look up to live on his mission, the Holy Spirit will know you and say, hey, get out of here. That's long enough for today. Go live on mission. Say, so last year I read my Bible through three times and I read three Christian biographies and I began to learn a little bit of Koine Greek um, and, and I'm even gonna eat kosher now like Jewish people. It's like, that's awesome. Did you talk to anyone about Jesus? no. Holy Spirit's gonna nudge you and say, get going. You say, this year I memorized 173 verses and I stopped watching all television altogether. Aren't I really, really spiritual? (laughs) Maybe. Um, Did you serve in your community at all? No? Well, if you would have been looking at the right things, the Holy Spirit would have nudged you at some point and said, hey, get out of here. Like, Christians look up for the purpose of going out, not just for the purpose of looking up. Don't just stand there, get on mission. When we see the motivation of the mission at the beginning of the book of Acts and at the end of the book of Acts, the two most influential Christians in the first century, a man named Peter and a man named Paul, were asked, why are you doing this? Why are you doing it? What's going on? Why are you so passionate about the mission? They both gave an answer. I wanna read you both their answers. Uh, Peter actually quoted uh, from an Old Testament prophet named Joel who prophesied that God was gonna come back with, Uh, Both wrath and salvation and people needed to be ready. So when they asked Peter, what's going on? Peter says, here's what's going on with me. Joel 2.28, scripture says, it shall come to pass afterward that I'll pour my spirit out on all flesh Your sons and your daughters will prophesy your old middle dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on male and female servants in those days, I'll pour out my spirit and I'll show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before that great and awesome day the Lord comes and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What's going on? Why is this happening? Peter says the Holy Spirit had to be poured out on followers of Jesus because salvation is coming and people need it. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. 30 years later in Acts 24, the apostle Paul would be asked the same question. Why are you doing what you're doing? And he would answer, here's my motivation. I have a hope in God which these men themselves accept that there's gonna be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Because Jesus is coming back and judgment and salvation are coming with him people should know that they have a choice. That's that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Danielle and I spent this weekend in uh, Chicago. My mom and dad celebrated their uh, 50-year wedding anniversary. Friday was their 50-year wedding anniversary, one of the highlights of my life. I got to to, uh, be over the renewing um, of their vows with my son and my nephew standing as groomsmen with my dad and my sister standing as bridesmaids with my mom and dad. And we got to do a vow renewal celebrating 50 years of marriage, really, really cool. It made me think back to my grandparents, 50 year wedding anniversary party that we had. And it made me think about how every year at Christmas we'd get in the car in the hills of Southern Ohio and we'd drive to the mountains of Western Maryland. And as I thought about that five and a half, six hour drive Every year of my life, I thought about me and my older sister and my younger sister in the car about 30 minutes after we pulled out of Southern Ohio, beginning to ask my mom and dad the most annoying, but most asked question on road trips from children that there is. And that question would be, are we there yet? Are we there yet? How much further are we we there yet? How much longer are we there yet? This is the story of Acts chapter one. The disciples came to Jesus and said, are we there yet? Are we done? Is this thing over? And Jesus said, not only is it not over, it hadn't even begun yet, but it's getting ready to, and it's gonna be awesome. We started this church with 15 people in my living room. Uh, Christmas this year, we had 5,000 people who were a part of our services. You say, are we almost done? Unless everyone in our city already knows Jesus, we're just getting started. Are we there yet? Are we there? We are just starting the trip. The Holy Spirit fueling the people of God for the mission of God until the whole world knows who Jesus is, amen? Amen. What's God said to your heart about 2023, about 2024, about what you need to do to just make Jesus a little stickier this year? I'm gonna pray and then some questions will roll on the screen that'll allow you to think about this message through your specific context pray some prayers for your life that are real specific to you and then i'll come back and close this in prayer we've got a special commissioning with some of our young kids who are going to help plant a church but god in this moment we give you our attention we give you our affection we give you our hearts we give you our repentance we give you our confession we correctly assess where we've been spiritually We confess what we've heard spiritually. And Lord, we commit to where you want us to go. Help us in this two and a half minutes to do these things as we reflect on this message. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll be back in two and a half minutes to close us.